This is Lainey Guy with the Slaveless Lender Podcast. Um, I'm actually coming on today. Uh, today's Bible study, we did the book of Esther. Um, so I kind of want to go through that briefly with you uh, and kind of tell you what I learned from it um, and kind of what God showed me this week, I guess you could say, through that study um, based off of the actual study and then personal experiences going on. So Esther is a quick read, kind of like the book of Ruth, like we did last week. Um, So I'm going to give you kind of like a synopsis in a nutshell. uh, So you know a little bit about the book of Esther, but I still encourage you to go read it on your own. um, Because there's so much to unpack in 10 chapters that I'm not going to cover everything that happens that it is kind of necessary to know. Okay, so Esther basically what happened was you see (laughs) um as i read esther i tried to the bible study we went over this morning i tried to keep in mind and to make mental note of a little bit what esther's character was like um what characteristic that i desired that esther has or had or had i should say what characteristics that Mordecai, her adopted father, has that I thought was super awesome. Um, And then what characteristics God displays throughout scripture too, as far as when he, in regards to when he answers Esther and Mordecai, um, mainly through action, but like what that process looked like um, to kind of study a little bit to see like, how we can relate it to everyday life, I guess you can say. Um, So you have the characters in Esther. You have King Xerxes, Xerxes, yep, (laughs) Queen Vashti, and then you have Esther, also known as Hadassah. That was her Jewish name, actually, and Mordecai. You also have the character Haman in there. Um, as well as some other mentioned characters throughout the book of Esther as well. Um, But those are the highlights, okay? So you have this king and queen at the time that ruled King Xerxes and then Queen, or King Xerxes and then Queen Vashti. King Xerxes, um, basically, he's a hothead, I think. That's my opinion. He's a hothead. He also is very much demands respect from um his wife uh that's more cultural you'll see throughout scripture i feel like um it also is you know applies to today but um definitely different times back then you could say um the king has this event that involves alcohol um is how the beginning kind of goes and he decides that he wants his queen um to come in and Uh, be showcased amongst the people and the nobles um and basically he wants to show her off he wants to show how beautiful she is the queen for whatever reason says no i'm not going to do that which i can imagine ladies like it's a pretty scary thing you have this king that's been drinking and like living his best life now he wants to like get you dressed up showcase you around to these nobles and to the people and it's kind of scary honestly like it's almost like what really went down you know anyway that's a side note but I really don't blame her 
for saying no because it doesn't really say why in scripture but if you have any feedback scholars out there or anything i am super interested actually um so the king was on the seventh day of partying he was drunk as, as a skunk that's when he decided i want my queen to be showcased she said no he got angry and then sought legal counsel from you know his committee i guess you could say the committee the council told him to get rid of the queen due to the reputation of the king and the message that it conveys to the other women <laughs> okay so i laughed the first chapter throughout all of this um but basically off with the queen she's gone she's done we don't know what happened whether she was submitted into slavery she goes away she's no longer the queen um, so the commissioners appointed um, to seek out were appointed to seek out different virgins and to basically find the king a new queen. Out of one of those virgins, Hadassah, but all but all but more so known as um, Esther, which was actually I believe a Persian origination of the name, was chosen to go to the king's chamber uh, or the king's palace. I guess you can say not chamber. Um, so Mordecai, who was her adopted father figure because her parents died at an early age, actually came back and said, okay, uh, Esther, if you go, keep your mouth shut about your nationality and about your family history. So that's she did. You can kind of see throughout scripture that Esther leans on Mordecai quite a bit for wisdom at the beginning because she's kind of unsure of the social norm i feel like maybe potentially of like what it was like to be in that situation where you're amongst so many virgins so many potential brides and it's like the new age bachelor except during that time period so it's super intimidating i feel like king xerxes demands these women through to go through 12 months of beauty treatments which is pretty intense um it's almost to me like, I don't know, if I was Mordecai, I would be paralyzed in fear for my daughter to go do this. But also, you got to look at the times. You had, um, you, you still had this division of the Jewish people during the time period um, as far as like turmoil going on. So in Mordecai's defense and in Esther's defense, they probably were looking at this experience as a way of protection for Esther, I'm thinking, because of the trend that they could see as far as what was going on in current events going on around them. Um, that's just my take on it. So I would say that Esther and Mordecai were like, okay, if I go, I'm not going to die, but if I don't go, I could die as far as the amount of turmoil that was going on with the Jewish population. And so they made the decision to go ahead and go. And Mordecai, you can tell, is coaching her and giving her as much wisdom as possible in order to protect her. So if you're wondering, like, context-wise, that's what I got out of it. Mordecai, uh, basically it goes on to say Esther won favor from the king because she was the most beautiful and it was overwhelmingly known and so Mordecai also 
went to the king's gate when he heard that the virgins were going to assemble a second time. And he, while he was at the king's gate, he is very observant. You can tell Mordecai is super observant. He overheard these guards stating how they were going to plot to kill the king. And Mordecai, what he did is he reported this back to Esther, um, which he was kind of smart to do this. And I think he did this to gain favor um, for Esther, to try to gain more favor for Esther. But he, he was observant. He reported back to Esther. Esther reported it back to the king or the palace. And they had those two guards impaled. They died. Okay. That, then the story goes on um, to say, basically keeps telling the story. King Xerxes honored Haman, which he was a, who was an Agagite. Um, and everybody bowed down to him. Basically, Haman was not a really good man. You can see that through scripture. Mordecai, however, refused to bow down to him anytime he entered into um, the same place that they were or, you know, basically when he entered the room, he's supposed to, people were supposed to bow down and Mordecai was like, no way in heck am I ever doing that. Um, and he continues this trend throughout scripture, um, which enrages Haman and Haman says, okay, well, I'm going to make a royal decree to kill all the Jewish people, um, because of Mordecai's actions and I'm going to annihilate and I'm going to get rid of the entire Jewish population, essentially. Um, so as the killings happened, Mordecai went into straight mourning and he publicly made it known. He ripped his clothes off, put on a sackcloth, wailed, um, and at the gates and just completely derailed. Esther got wind of this and... Esther wanted to know what was going on with Mordecai. Esther sent him clothes to wear to kind of help disguise that he was a Jew in order to protect Mordecai. Mordecai refused. Esther then says, okay, this is in her, to her head. Like this is getting out of hand. I got to figure out something quick. Okay. Um, Esther told Mordecai, go fast and pray for me for three days. I'm going to go to the king and tell him Basically, that one, I am Jewish. Two, I'm going to stop and end basically this terrible killings of our Jewish, of our people. So she had to figure out a way to do that. Um, <laughs> she had to figure out a way to do that without getting killed herself. Because remember, uh, the king is a hothead and she's ultimately a Jew, which the king doesn't know this at this point. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal at this point, which Mordecai has already warned Esther, like, hey, you're going to have to let the king know your back or your background. Um, at this point, he has at least, you know, you've covered it up. You've kind of protected yourself. But since everything has unfolded the way it's unfolded, you're going to have to be transparent with the king. So she listens and she goes through three days of fasting and praying. And basically, um, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Esther... You see this cool dynamic between Mordecai and Esther. Esther leans on Mordecai when she was emotionally weak. And then when Mordecai, for wisdom, I should say, then when Mordecai was emotionally weak, Mordecai leaned on Esther without the scripture really saying that. And then Esther in return leaned on God and leaned on Mordecai for the prayers to determine like what direction they need to be going. 
um, as far as like how to unfold all of this information to the king to still remain favorable and to remain alive. So it's kind of an intense like thing, um, super intense thing. She proposes the idea, she's going to approach the king and ask him to come to a royal ball, banquet, whatever you want to call it, with Haman, and also is going to invite Haman. Um, the king knows what's up because it's not typical for the queen to go to the king and request such things. So he immediately asks Esther, what do you need? And Esther's like, I'll tell you at the royal banquet, but I would really love, it would be my honor if you would attend, essentially. Haman felt super special and went back to all of his relatives, boasted all of his people, boasted the king. Um, and you can, there's a side note with all of that. <laughs> with Haman doing that, he also sees Mordecai. Again, Mordecai refuses to bow. And his wife proposes that, hey, why don't you set up um, poles to impale Mordecai and to kill him that way you can kill him go to your ball and it not be any issue so that's exactly what Haman does um the night before the banquet um which they haven't found Mordecai to kill him yet so it sounds like Haman was going to go to the ball have fun when he gets out kill Mordecai that's what it sounds like um in those those events I need to go back and read and get the order of them but um the king ends up not being able to sleep the night before and ironically gets somebody to read something out of the volumes that were written down, like manuscripts as far as events that happened. And lo and behold, the manuscript that was pulled happened to be um, what Mordecai did um, for King Xerxes as far as sparing his life um, by letting them know that guards were plotting to kill him. That that interested the king. He they wanted to know. He wanted to know if anybody acknowledges acknowledged um, Mordecai for that. Of course, nobody did. So he wanted to acknowledge him, and we see God plant a seed to almost have favor on Mordecai before the queen even approached King Xerxes about all of the issues and turmoil that were going on. Fast forward, they have this banquet. The queen spills her guts, tells her. Tells the king her background, says, hey, Haman, this disgusting man actually is killing my people. Here's what's going on. The king responded how she would have hoped he would have responded, furious, saying, this is my wife. How dare you kill her people? All of these things. He gets mad, goes up, goes out in the garden to cool off because you got to remember Haman's her, his right-hand man. When he comes back, he finds Haman drunkenly all over Esther trying to have Esther spare his life. King Xerxes got mad because he took that as Haman trying to make a pass at Esther and the king kills Haman. He then anoints Mordecai, the position that Haman had along with all of his riches. And from there, Mordecai sends a royal decree out for all of the Jews to be able to fight back and to kill anybody that fights them. And also he, uh, he ends up call, killing all of Haman's sons and family. Um, I don't know if he does personally, but they end up dying. Um, and that's the gist of the story. We, they live happily ever after. There's lots of turmoil. There's lots of fighting. But ultimately, good overcame evil in this process. That is a brief, brief synopsis. And I may not have done all the details justice. But 
basically what happened, okay? When I went through the book of Esther, I wanted to know the application that we could take. And we talked about this in our Bible meeting today. Anytime you have like the Old Testament you're reading or a history book or something like that, the best thing that you can possibly do is highlight or circle keywords, okay? And what I mean by this is the keywords I circled were burned with anger, Haman boasted, um, and I, I basically, why I do that is because I like to brain dump at the beginning before I start studying um, everything that's given me anxiety throughout the week, everything that's on my mind. I like to just brain dump everything. I pray about it before I go in, into studying. And then as I read and study, and that almost, okay, the psychological being for that, the psychology behind me doing that, I guess you could say, is when you're anxious and you don't get it out on paper or you're not able to acknowledge or pinpoint exactly what's wrong, what happens is we tend to get super distracted when we read. And what this does is this creates a space to put our problems at God's feet and to say, this is what I need help with. Can you talk to me? And you're opening up this space where you're talking to God initially, and then you're using scripture for to allow God to talk back to you. Okay, it's like this cool relationship, I guess you could say, um, that you guys have like this dialogue um, where you're able to hear God's voice. So what I do is when I read scripture, I highlight keywords that jump out and then I try to relate them to what I struggled with throughout the week. So for example, burned with anger this week, I have been angry as all get out. I don't know why. Um, my husband says I've been a nightmare to be around. I have been super anxious. Um, anybody that has made me mad, my initial reaction is I'm going to freaking cut you. I don't know what is wrong with me. Um, you know, it's just sometimes your hormones are out of whack. I don't know if that's it. Um, but I've been insane. And so basically what I did is there were some instances this week that made me so angry and that I could only see red. I could not calm down enough to be able to rationally talk about things to where I sounded like I had any sense at all. So, um, I basically just, um, wrote down certain instances and was like, God, like, I'm sorry for these and I repented. And then I put Haman boasted to them. Okay, so then my son this week has been struggling with his cousin. If my sister's listening to this, um, I recognize it. I'm trying to fix it. So he, they, my, him and his cousin are super tight. Beckett tends to boast to his cousin. They both do. Um, hey, my toy's bigger. I got to spend the night at Papa's house. You didn't. Did it. You name it, they boast about it. So I've started, and what Beckett, my son, does is he'll boast, he'll get his cousin all riled up, and then his cousin will lash out, and then he'll tell them his cousin, and then his cousin gets in trouble, and it creates this cycle that makes them so frustrated on both ends to where they don't have a loving relationship. I'm just going to call it what it is. It's not super loving. It's actually very unhealthy. So this week, the last two weeks, my um, there were some instances that happened 
And I've had a talk to Becca what boasting means, what love means, what it means, what that actually looks like, what love looks like. Because I'm going to be honest and real, I don't always display that at home. I would like to say that I do, but I don't. And when things are super stressful, the one that we love the most and that we're most comfortable with sometimes gets the brunt of our wrath. And it is what it is. It's not okay. It doesn't make it okay. But it does... We need to let our kids know, or I need to let my kid know, like, hey, this behavior that you're displaying, I struggle too, but it's not how we need to act. So those things, there's certain things throughout scripture in the book of Esther specifically that I highlighted that I kind of went through and wrote down. And God kind of talked to me through those words and said, you know, you boasted this week, this was an instance. Your son is doing this. This was his instance. You know, um, you're burned with anger. This was your wrongs towards your husband. Like, and I've had, I today called and repented and addressed those issues. And it was almost like this weight was lifted a little bit. So it puts things in perspective. Um, it leads to restitution. Your anxiety lowers. It does something to your brain chemically. It reduces the amount of migraines, amount of magnesium you take when you get home. Um, it creates this sense of you being relaxed to where you're not being as tense, where you don't have to go to the chiropractor for your neck or get a massage every other week or whatever the case is, which, which it, it does something to you mentally more so, but then it also has effect on you physically when you do things and it kind of lets you just relax a little bit. That anxiety kind of relieves, um, and that prayer life, like, us using scripture as a dialogue to speak to God, but also brain dumping beforehand, praying and then allowing God to reveal our wrongdoings through scripture. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to kind of just relieve the pressure that we are feeling building up in our souls. I mean, that's just my take on things. So the book of Esther allowed me to do this quite a bit this week. So I challenge you within this week just to go back um, Esther is a good place to start, but brain dump what you're feeling before you read, pray about it, highlight keywords that may jump out to you, and then study the text as a whole. Look at other people's downfalls, see how that can relate to your, to your downfalls, and then pray about those things. Um, there's some things that I found characteristic wise that I want to touch on real fast. Mordecai. Okay, he was super wise. He was super careful. He loved Esther with his whole heart. He tried to protect her the best he could. But then when he was in a weak spot and went through grieving, he also was receptive to listen to Esther and to um, seek God when he needed to. And the same with Esther. I thought that was super cool. So you, you kind of see... Although Mordecai too, arch emesis, was Haman throughout scripture, you see Haman trying to impale Mordecai throughout the whole chapter. But Mordecai's response for not liking Haman was, I'm just not going to bow down to you. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to create drama, but I'm not going to bow down to you. And he stood firm with that and he trusted that God would take care of Haman. And he remained silent, and that's exactly what God did. And sometimes, side note, when we have enemies that we can't fight and we shouldn't fight, we have to trust that God has our back more so than we have our own. We could ever have our own back. And I thought that was evident through Scripture within the Book of Esther. It was really cool too. Um, so 
I'm going to drop the ebook on the Facebook page, but uh, yeah, take a look at it. Read the book of Esther. Tell me what you think. Try these tactics before you go into study and then keywords and then let me know like any experience that you have that may have given you a sense of relief.